the Public Affairs Forum of 90.3 The Core, where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter, and this week on Core of the Matter, we are talking about violence prevention and victim assistance and issues that relate to that. And I have here with me Lisa Smith, who is the coordinator for Domestic Violence Services. And we'll be talking about everything from sexual violence to domestic violence and dating to stalking to whatever you can think of that really involves those issues. So let's begin. So really... I want to know what exactly is or what is considered to be sexual violence. Well, sexual violence is usually an umbrella term that people use. It can mean a whole range of uh, kinds of behaviors. In New Jersey, we uh, typically talk about two uh, types of violence, sexual assault and criminal sexual contact. Uh, the biggest difference between sexual assault and criminal sexual contact is penetration. If there has been some kind of penetration, then it's considered sexual assault. Uh, if it is unwanted or um, uh, non-consensual touching in what people might consider the bathing suit area or private areas, then that's uh, criminal sexual contact. Wow. Okay. So what or out of fact, who is considered to be a victim? of sexual assault what is it what are the I guess I don't know what to say really just what it is to be a victim of sexual assault or sexual violence well as far as who a victim is it would be of course anyone who has uh, uh, been forced to do uh, sexual things against their will uh, which may include penetration it may not so it depends again on the uh, you know the actual type of behavior that has happened uh, as far as who is victim uh, you know a victim really can be anybody um, there's uh, there's not any one uh, you know set of characteristics if you will in terms of um, you know who a victim is Okay. So I know you said before that is it sexual assault that's considered below the That's criminal sexual contact if there's okay. non consensual touching. Okay, so one is criminal and <clears throat> one is not. Right. Well that's a great question because they're actually both criminal offenses. One just happens to be called criminal sexual contact. Sexual assault is also uh, a criminal offense under under New Jersey law. Okay. Um so our so sexual violence and sexual assault are not the same thing or they're on this it doesn't the same thing. A sexual violence people uh, usually think of as again as an umbrella term right. that might cover uh, uh, would it, or maybe also include things like uh, sexual harassment, uh, lewd behavior, uh, fondling, things like that. Uh, when we're talking about uh, well, in particularly in a college population, uh, that's usually what we are are seeing is either sexual assault or criminal sexual contact. Okay, so. What are some of the contributing factors that are part of sexual violence or sexual assault or what leads people to commit those acts? And I think we can actually combine some of these together because when we're talking about uh, these kinds of behaviors, whether it's 
domestic violence, sexual violence, or stalking, uh, there are very similar themes that this is all uh, really about power and control. Uh, it is about a sense of entitlement. Uh, in the case of sexual assault, you know, not honoring someone when they say no or when they're not saying yes, uh, you know, actively, when they're not in, uh, you know, uh, when this is not consensual, when they're not uh, wanting some, you know, what's happening. Uh, and so uh, when we talk, for example, about violence against women, uh, this is kind of behavior has been going on for thousands of years. And so there is uh, uh, the sense of entitlement by some men uh, that they feel that they are in, uh, entitled, that they have the right to behave this kind of way. They see uh, women as, uh, as objects or as a challenge. Uh, in the case of sexual assault, for example, uh, they may have uh, marked somebody earlier in the week that they're going to work on all that week. And then by the end of the weekend, it's their goal to you know, to have sex with this person uh, and, you know, whether they want to or not. And so that's when it becomes, you know, when it's not consensual, uh, then it, of course, that's, you know, when it's become sexual assault. So has it been seen as something that's a more mental problem with that person that they commit these acts on other people? Or Yeah, and that's also, that's a great question, too, because uh, there are, of course, some uh, perpetrators that have uh, some kind of mental illness, but uh, there, uh, there is not a, a higher percentage of perpetrators that are mentally ill than the general population. So that uh, these people who, uh, whether they're you know uh, perpetrating sexual assault or domestic violence or stalking, uh, that uh, it is um, uh, in the case of domestic violence, for example, uh, it's seen as a learned behavior. You know, we're not born violent, and so any more than we're born hating people. Uh, and so this is something that uh, that's learned usually from the family where they grew up uh, and uh, uh, and can be passed on, you know, from generation to generation. Uh, we talk about socialization. Uh, but even before we go on any further, because I'm talking about these behaviors in its majority terms, how it happens most of the time. But to be clear... Uh, although the majority of perpetrators are men, the majority of men are not perpetrators. And so that's the good news. Uh, so that as we are talking about uh, – I, I typically refer to perpetrators as he and victims as she, but that, of course, is not uh, the only way that it happens. And I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll get into that uh, later. Uh, but it's, it's – as we go back to the, uh, the sense of this – you know, the sense of entitlement, the sense that uh, I have the right to act this way, uh, that women are seen as being less than uh, or seen as objects uh, in the case of sexual thought, seeing as, you know, a conquest. Uh, and um, uh, and so it's there may be some kind of, you know, mental illness going on, but that's actually a, a small, smaller percentage. So would you say it's more of an inferiority problem that men have against women or would you say it's a more of a family-based issue? You know, and actually inferiority, it's a, my experience that it's actually more the opposite is that, uh, you know, if we were going to, um, uh, you know, put a name on anything for uh sexual predators uh, it might be the exact opposite of inferiority it's more of you know narcissism needing to get my own needs met and i 
you know, uh, want to go out and conquer people and, you know, sort of the old, you know, myth, uh, not myth, the old, um, uh, you know, phrases, cliches that we would talk about, a notch on the belt or something. Uh, and that's what, uh, you know, this kind of behavior entails. Uh, it could be, you know, issues in the family uh, as well. There's, you know, it's, it's lots of things that could uh, feed into that. Right. So I know we've talked about that men as targeting women, but I've also know that men can be victims as well. Right. Uh, when we look at um, uh, national, uh, you know, statistics that uh, generally what we talk about is one in four women uh, are uh, sexually assaulted at some point uh, and one in nine men. Uh, so uh, clearly men are also victims. Uh, m- there is some, you know, reporting differences that men uh, may not report uh, as often. I mean, having men, you know, come forward to say that they're victims of anything is pretty difficult, uh, let alone that they are a victim of sexual assault. Particularly if they were assaulted uh, by a man, uh, then they may be afraid that this, you know, uh, people will question their sexual out- their sexuality, they'll think they're gay, uh, or... You know, if they were sexually assaulted by a woman, then again, their masculinity is called into question. Uh, why couldn't they, you know, defend themselves? Why couldn't they fight this person off? Uh, so, um, uh, and that's, you know, true with any of these kind of behaviors. So, does rape fall into these terms of sexual violence, sexual assault? Yeah, you know, when we talk about sexual assault, uh, we're talking about what people would commonly refer to as rape. So, I know I've heard of the fact that women have been raped, but can men be raped as well? Yes. Okay. So in those instances, is that because the men are not saying that they're just weak, per se? (laughs) I know it sounds weird to say that, but really what what happens? Is it giving into it or it's caught off guard? (laughs) Well, I think what you're struggling with is the very idea of, gosh, how could that happen? You know, and when we think about it, how does it happen when a woman is a victim? Right. You know, is she is she weak? Is she somehow letting this happen? Is she, you know, and I think people, those are some of the myths that are out there. So I think it's important to, you know, to get these out and to, you know, and to talk about it. Uh, sexual assault is about violence. And so... You know, how is somebody, you know, what happens when somebody is mugged, let's say, or if they are uh, uh, in a, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, beaten up on their way home from, you know, being out. Uh, You know, these are the same kinds of, of, you know, behaviors that this is about violence. And so people get caught up in the sexual part and think that there is somehow that this is, um, uh, you know, oh, well, there must have been some kind of, you know, what kind of signals was this person sending out? Uh, uh, you know, and it's it's not about that. It's really, it's about, it's violence. It's about control. So when men are victims, uh, uh, I see that, um, I think this also, uh, we talk about patriarchy and, and socialization and sense of entitlement, uh, but uh, that some men will also, you know, visit that on other men uh, as well as, you know, on women. Uh, we can talk later, uh, you know, about when uh, domestic violence or sexual assault happens in a gay or lesbian relationship, but that's a, a separate, well, not separate issue, but I mean a, uh, a different issue. Right, right. So... <clears throat> I guess my question is, which I feel like should have been an earlier question, is when does 
say you're in a relationship and you feel like it's love, but when does it become violence? Mm. Well, in terms of uh, domestic violence, what uh, I often talk with clients about is, uh, uh, you know, and to look at what was the intent of the behavior. One of the examples when I'm teaching and I'm doing, um, you know, a guest lecture on domestic violence and I'll ask what admittedly is a trick question and that is, uh, speaking stereotypically, a boyfriend and girlfriend are arguing and the boyfriend gets pissed off and so all of a sudden he just calls uh, his girlfriend a bunch of bad names. Is this verbal abuse? Mm-hmm. Now, the trick part of that, of course, is that it could be yes, it could be no. Because when we talk about the definition of domestic violence, domestic violence is a pattern of controlling a course of behavior by one person who is maintaining power and control over another in an intimate relationship. And so when you think about that scenario of, you know, one person calling another person a bunch of bad names, yeah, that's verbal abuse because, you know, we shouldn't be calling people bad names. Is that domestic violence? Is that abusive relationship? We need some more information. Is it a pattern of behavior? Is that what is the uh, the intent? Is the intent that I'm trying to, uh, you know, rip apart your self-esteem and so therefore, uh, you know, gain this power and control over you? Then that to me, that's when it flips to being abuse as opposed to I'm having a bad day and, you know, I shot my mouth off. Right, right, right. So... I guess we've kind of already covered why does sexual violence occur, but I'm not sure if we really got into all of that. In terms of domestic violence, it's it's very similar. It's it's a learned behavior. Uh, it is, uh, as I mentioned, it's usually it can, well, not usually it can often be uh, uh, transferred from one generation to another. Uh, someone that's grown up in a home where there's been domestic violence uh, may, uh, you know, they get the idea that, okay, this is what relationships are supposed to be like. This is how women are supposed to be treated or this is how men are supposed to act. Uh, and then that will, uh, you know, that will carry on. So do you feel that is because that, I guess, is following the status quo that these happen? Like, I'm not sure what to say that, say, if, for instance, if it was a male and a, and a female in a relationship and that male was part of a family where there was domestic violence mm-hmm. or sexual violence, whatever you want to say, and say that in his eyes, maybe his father treated his mother wrong in sexual violence, mm-hmm. domestic violence, and saw that and maybe thought that that was mm-hmm. yeah. right. They, they will model, they will repeat the model that's been shown to them. Possibly. Now, what we don't necessarily know is that some men who have grown up in homes where there's been domestic violence do not repeat that behavior. In the same kind of way of, let's talk about child abuse. If somebody was abused as a child, they're actually at greater risk of being a child abuser themselves. And so when you think, okay, well, okay, some people follow that, you know, they, they repeat what they've been modeled. Some people don't. And I don't know that we necessarily have all the answers to why some people might follow that behavior and some people don't. But in terms of when it does happen, uh, we see that it's uh, quite often because of what's been modeled to them. Right, right. So what happens to the victims in the sense of sexual violence or sexual assault? Do I, I, really, I know you don't really know what happens to them, but... Do you mean emotionally? Do you emotionally, mean, physically, okay. 
Okay. Yeah. And this would also, uh, you know, if we think about uh, if we were in a room full of people and we were to ask every single person, uh, you know, how do you respond when something traumatic happens, we'd have you know, all sorts of different responses to that so that people, uh, you know, do respond in a variety of ways uh, when something traumatic and violent has happened to them. And so uh, there can be all, you know, just a whole host of things everywhere from disbelief and anger and depression and then, you know, just kind of going on from there. Right, right, right. So I know we've we've covered a, a lot so far about more so related to sexual violence and sexual assault. And I know that's very important to get out there first. This is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 Core where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter, and this week on Core of the Matter, we're talking about violence prevention and victim assistance with Lisa Smith, who is the coordinator for Domestic Violence Services. So before the break, we were talking about more so sexual assault, sexual violence, and now we're going to get more into uh, domestic violence and dating which I know we kind of already jumped into beforehand, but I guess my question, are they, are they the same thing or are they different? Dating and domestic violence, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Most often, I mean, the short answer, I think, is yes, they are the same uh, or very similar. Uh, I think that people uh, usually um, define uh, uh, dating violence or domestic violence by the status of the relationship, meaning... If a couple is married, if they're living together, it's more often referred to as domestic violence. If uh, a couple is, you know, they're seeing each other but they're not married or and or maybe not living together, then it might be referred to as dating violence. I think age also plays uh, a big deal or a big um, – I'm thinking of the word I want but uh, plays a large role in this. Uh, say if the couple is – you know, in their 30s or 40s, and, uh, you know, they're not married, not living together, and some abuse is happening, they're also probably referring to that as domestic violence uh, because of the, you know, because of the age. Uh, under the law, uh, it really, the behaviors are the same. Uh, the way that it is dealt with is the same as long as um, the uh, perpetrator is over 18. Uh, and so, you know, uh, they're very. Um, I, I use the terms interchangeably when I'm talking with students uh, because under um, under the New Jersey domestic violence law, it's referred to mostly as domestic violence. Right, right. So what are some contributing factors to domestic violence and dating? Um, as we talked about before, uh, that uh, in terms of uh, the learned behavior and a personal choice, a sense of entitlement and socialization. Uh, when we talk about things that happen on campus, people will often talk about alcohol or some other kind of substance uh, or stress uh, or, um, uh, you know, economics, things like that. And we like to make a distinction between things that impact behavior versus things that cause behavior. And so in terms of alcohol uh, or some other kind of substance, clearly impacting behavior may make a situation worse, may lower somebody's inhibitions uh, against certain behaviors, but it's not necessarily creating the violence. Because not everybody who uses alcohol is violent, 
everyone who is violent uses alcohol. This is also the same with sexual assault. We didn't really talk about alcohol with sexual assault, but alcohol is the big excuse, and alcohol is the biggest uh, – uh, when we talk about you know drug-facilitated sexual assault, alcohol is uh, – Particularly on a college campus, is really the main, uh, you know, drug that's used. Uh, so it's uh, there's a lot of people that will try and ex- excuse their behavior by saying, "Oh, well, I was drunk." Uh, so we want to make sure that we make a distinction between there's something else that's going on that's giving you uh, the idea that you have a right to act this way. Uh, so that's how I see that you know, playing in. As far as stress goes. You know, let's think about, okay, uh, the semester's been going on now for just over a month. What student isn't under stress right now? You know, everyone is under stress. Mm-hmm. and But again, there's not that, uh, you know, A plus B sort of approach of, oh, I'm under stress, so I'm going to become violent. No, most of us don't become violent uh, beyond that. And so, you know, but some people, you know, batterers will, again, use that as an excuse as, oh, well, you know how I am on Tuesdays and I have to work late or something. Uh, you know, it's no. Uh, you're choosing this behavior uh, because you are uh, feeling you have the right to, uh, you know, control and treat your partner like this. Right, right. So I know that there are emotional and physical abuses that come from it. What are those for domestic viol- well, domestic violence and dating? There's a, a range, again, of, of behavior. Uh, we think about uh, isolation, for example, is probably the most classic symptom of someone that's in a controlling relationship. Uh, I listen for things like um, I don't see my family anymore or I don't spend time with my friends anymore or my partner won't let me is a big red flag for me. Uh, isolation is cutting the, uh, a victim or survivor off from their family and friends, uh, not allowing them to spend time with people, You know, sometimes through guilt or manipulation. Oh, if you loved me, you'd spend all your time with me. Uh, sometimes just through, no, these people are crazy or they're not good for you or you know whatever. Uh, and so that victim is isolated, which of course just compounds their uh, their plight because they don't have somebody in their life saying, hey, they can't treat you like this. What's going on? There's also a whole host of other behaviors as intimidation, uh, technology. We you know, have so many ways of getting at each other. I'm sure we'll get more into that when we talk about stalking. Uh, there's also, uh, of course, physical and sexual abuse, uh, verbal, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, economic abuse. Which I actually don't see a lot with college students, but that is also uh, a form. Uh, threats are a huge part of dating or domestic violence. Threats can be anything from, if you leave, I'll kill you. Uh, I will burn your mom's house down. I will come after people you care about. I will come after things that you care about. Uh, threats can be particularly scary because you're not really sure, you know, is the person going to follow through with that? And, you know, there may be really no way uh, to know. Uh, so all sorts of those kinds of behaviors that that fit into dating or domestic violence. So what would you say about the fact that sometimes on campus people just say things just because they can say it? Mm. Like, oh, I'll kill you. Like, not saying that they will. It's just sure. joking. So... And that's not an easy answer as far as how do you tell what's sort of a throwaway statement. Uh, you know, my sister, I'm sure, threatened my life quite a bit when we were growing up. But, uh, you know, when, <laughs> what point is there, okay, I, I better go get mom. Uh, uh, but I think that uh, you, get, you think about the intent of the behavior. And, and it, it's difficult to describe, but 
if somebody is really making a threat to you, it's sort of you know the difference. Uh, it, there's just something about the look in the person's eye, the menace in their voice, and also uh, these kind of threats come out of a relationship that already is abusive. And particularly if there's been physical abuse in the relationship, then almost anything that will happen after that still has that threat of physical abuse under it. And so anytime the batterer gets angry, the victim or survivor is left of, okay, is this going to be another time when, you know, they're going to cross the line? So uh, so I think that it's, uh, you know, sometimes a gut reaction of, okay, I, I think this is really dangerous now. I, but it's difficult, I think, to try and describe that. Right. So is it possible for the person who is violent to not have been violent? To start off in the relationship and all of a sudden become violent. Yeah, what I you know I often say to people, and it, again, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but people, you know, why did you stay? Why did you let this happen to you? Why whatever? Well, okay, the first time you went out with someone, they hit you. Chances are you would not go out with them again. Right. But the thing is, is that that is typically not what happens in terms of dating or domestic violence. They're usually uh, – batterers will come in and will sweep the victim off their feet. They will be very romantic. They will be very attentive. They will want to spend all their time together. They will take them to class every day, uh, call them up five or six times a day to find out how they're doing, uh, You know all of these things. But then the behaviors will start to shift. And so – you know, the batterer will call a victim or survivor five or six times a day uh, instead of to find out how they're doing. It's to find out what they're doing and where they are and who they're with and when are they going to be back and why didn't you call me when your class was over? Uh, you know, and so the possession, the control starts to become more and more uh, pronounced. Uh, and so by the time, sometimes, you know, by the time the victim realizes what's going on, they're already you know, pretty deep into the relationship. And so I don't want to, uh, so it's something that, you know, uh, you do see what I'm saying in terms of that it, it can happen over a period of time. Right, right. So as for the victim, I know they probably feel like it's their fault, mm. which is said a lot, but mm -hmm. it really isn't. Well, and it's said also because the, what the batterer says, because the batterer is blaming the abuse on them. Uh, we talk about how violence happens in a relationship and we talk about uh, a cycle of violence where uh, there's some kind of abusive incident, but then there'll be this calm period that some people refer to as honeymoon. I'm so sorry, it'll never happen again. You know, let me give you the, you know, give me, give you some presents or I'll cry or I'll promise to go into counseling or whatever. Uh, but also another message that comes through that that honeymoon, why we also call it recapture, uh, is, you know, um, to the saying the batterer will say in effect, "I'm so sorry you made me hit you." Mm -hmm. See, so it sounds like an apology, but yet the uh, responsibility and the blame for the abuse is going on to the victim. Mm -hmm. Now, so if you picture that cycle, there's you know there's tension building, there's an abusive incident, and then this kind of calm recapture period. And if you picture it like a circle that's just as happening over and over again, and the victim is constantly being told this is their fault, uh, they they start to believe that and they start to internalize that. And so you know when I'm working with a client, I would say, uh, you know, almost 100% of the time, at some point, they will say to me, you know, I, I, I think this was my fault. 
and they don't you know get that just from out of the blue someplace it's you know it has been told to them over and over again or you know even with friends and sometimes we say this unintentionally you know if a friend came to you and said oh my partner hit me last night mm-hmm. for some people the first thing that would jump into their head is what did you do mm. you know because that's we just it's like oh you know what happened or what did you do and of course the message then that sends to the victim or survivor is oh you know i must have done something to provoke this uh you know this abuse so there's a lot of self-blame uh, for that you know for a victim or survivor right i know that president obama made february the national teen dating violence awareness and prevention month so what do you think about that you know, I think that uh, uh, I, I'm very torn over the idea of months. Like, uh, you know, February is also Black History Month. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of, of uh, you know, programming that happens during that time. So, you know, I think if having a, a particular month can, can raise awareness and can help spread the word, uh, then I think that's great. Uh, but obviously we also need to uh, concern ourselves with dating and domestic violence all year round. You know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and so you know we we do some things during that month, but we also try to uh, you know spread the <clears throat> excuse me spread the awareness and all of that uh, you know all year round. Right. So has teen dating violence become more prominent in recent years, or has it declined a little bit? You know, I, I, I don't – well, I would love to think it has declined. That has not been my experience. Uh, I think that uh, there are some things where, you know, reporting may be different. I think that uh, in some cases uh, people are uh, maybe feeling they can be, uh, you know, a little more uh, open about that. I mean, when I started doing this work, uh, you know, some years ago – you didn't. It was very difficult for you know victims or survivors to come forward. It still is very difficult, but I think that there is, uh, you know, there is some more. Um, the word I want, you know, precedence as far as as people coming forward. I think that it is, uh, it is less acceptable, maybe than it was, you know, let's say fifty years ago or something. I mean, we still we still have a ways to go, but uh, I am I am starting to see some you know some change with that so what would you say are the communities that are most prominent to have this happen to them that's another great question because actually it's when we look at statistics uh what we talk about is that uh you know statistics really in terms of domestic violence uh, or sexual assault or stalking that it cuts across uh almost any kind of line you want to think about age race culture uh, uh whether or not a person's employed uh, what religion they might be or of any, you know, if any, uh, that these kinds of behaviors cut across, you know, all of that. Right. So uh, we've been discussing more about domestic violence and dating. And we've talked about sexual violence and assault. And we're going to speak more about it in a few minutes. is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter, and this week on Core of the Matter, we're talking about violence 
Prevention and Victim Assistance. And we're here with Lisa Smith, who is the coordinator of Domestic Violence Services. We were talking about domestic violence and dating, as well as sexual violence and assault. So now we're going to talk more about what's been going on on the Rutgers campus. So what has occurred at Rutgers with all these different types of, I guess, scenarios? Yeah, I, I think that um, uh, I would love to uh, to be able to say that you know we haven't had this experience, and I don't think this is going to be a big news flash for people. But yes, we do uh, and have had incidents of sexual assault and dating and domestic violence and stalking uh, that happened here at Rutgers. Uh, so um, you know, I remember uh, some years ago when there was a series of armed robberies going on. Uh, one of my colleagues at the time said, you know, I wish we could build a wall, this 10-foot wall, all around the campus. Uh, and I think in her mind it meant that we would all be protected. But for those of us that, uh, you know, that n- know th- that it just would have trapped some of the violent people here. And so, so yes, we, you know, we do uh, have students that experience all three of these behaviors. Right. So I know stalking is probably a big issue on campus. So what issues have you heard or dealt with? The majority of of students uh, really fall into two different categories as far as students that are being stalked. Uh, Often it is uh, from uh, a a dating relationship where they are trying to break up. Uh, They don't want to have anything to do with this person anymore and they're not, not taking no for an answer. And so they just keep coming after them, keep bothering them, showing up at... Uh, wherever you know their place of work, their classroom, their home, uh, you know, keep calling them, texting them, all sorts of things. Uh, the other kind of stalking that may happen is uh, more of a casual acquaintance, almost. Maybe uh, they've had a class together, or they lived in the same residence hall, they were in the same student organization, something like that. Uh, and then uh, this person just keeps bothering them and just won't let them alone. I'm often asked, how do you figure out when it's stalking? You know, what's the difference between stalking and just, you know, not leaving somebody alone? The legal definition of stalking is a course of conduct directed at a specific person uh, by which a reasonable person would feel some kind of fear. In essence, that's the, not word for word, but that's the gist. And so a course of conduct means something that happens over and over again. Uh, And for me, I... Um, you know, I say to students, as soon as you think there's a problem, then you should certainly be. You can reach out and talk to somebody about that. Uh, and so, uh, there's not a, a, a you know a specific time or something as that um, you know that in terms of people reaching out to you know to get some kind of help. All right. So, are there different types of stalking or? Well, there's lots of different kinds of behaviors that can happen. People nowadays talk a lot about cyber stalking, uh, and that certainly is is well the same. You know, back in the day, stalking used to mean following somebody around. Now, stalking can still mean that students will still see you know people in the dining hall, or why are they always showing up outside of you know Scott Hall when I get out of class, or you know something. Uh, but stalking can also mean. Uh, text messaging, uh, you know, calling somebody on the phone repeatedly, uh, um, instant messaging. Oh, I don't see that as much anymore. But, um, but you know, Facebook, uh, things like that, um, that will just continue to happen over and over again. 
Right. So how likely is any of the major, I guess, scenarios we've talked about likely to occur at Rutgers? Well, what I say to people, you know, when when I tell people that I work for the Office for Violence Prevention and Victim Assistance at Rutgers, uh, the, invariably the first question is, oh, does, does that mean there's such a big problem there? Well, you know, Rutgers is a, in New Brunswick and Piscataway are, you know, a community like any other. And so, you know, yes, unfortunately, this kind of violence does happen here. Uh, but I can't say that it, it's any more... Uh, than you know than any place else uh, what I feel good about is that we have a place on campus where students can go uh, to get assistance uh, you know when some you know if when something uh, you know violent happens so is it more likely to happen to women or men on this campus or the four or five campuses in general I wouldn't say you know more likely I can tell you as far as uh, um, you know my own caseload over the years is that uh, that yes I think we uh, you know have more women coming forward to report than men uh, but I don't know that that uh, you know you know, in terms of you know, in terms of who, what is more likely, um, because we know that you know men are also victims. We know the reporting is, as I was talking about earlier, uh, that there's underreporting in terms of men, but there's also underreporting in terms of women too. So, um, you know, so it's uh, it can happen to you know, uh, to both men and women. So I know that there are blue lights on each campuses, like there are emergency lights on each campus. Was that established through the Office for Violence Prevention and Victim Assistance, or was that Rutgers' separate security, I, I guess? That is before my time, and so I would say that probably it was uh, uh, part of just the overall security of the campus. I don't know that it was something that was, uh, uh, you know, instituted by our office. Right. So what are some of the factors of people being violent in relationships in college or specifically at Rutgers because we did talk about stress and I guess home behaviors too but I don't know if there's something directly geared at Rutgers specifically or no I would say that the you know we're seeing the same kinds of of things happen at Rutgers where uh, you know a student has uh, grown up in a home for example that was violent or uh, has uh, grown up hearing negative, uh, you know, sexist things about women, objectifying women, things like that, and so they, you know, they play out those behaviors here uh, as they would, you know, someplace else. So I don't think that there's, um, you know, there's not, it doesn't happen differently here uh, than it would someplace else. So say if that person who came to realize that they were being an abusive person in the relationship and they want to do something about that, how would they go about doing that? Uh, they can certainly uh, uh, reach out to, uh, you know, counseling and psychological services, for example. Uh, they can uh, call our, uh, you know, office for a referral. We do uh, work exclusively with victims and survivors, but, uh, but they can certainly call for, uh, you know, for a referral. But I, my, I would say... Uh, first off, in terms of a campus resource uh, for them to uh, call CAPS, Counseling and Psychological Services. So say if someone was in a relationship and they were the person being abused mm -hmm. and they are too afraid to get help. Mm -hmm. I think that what's important to, you know, what I often am explaining to people is 
uh, that if they come to our office, we're going to listen to them, and we're I'm going you know we're going to follow them down whatever path they want to go, and so we're not going to try and tell them what to do. Uh, for example, if they're in an abusive relationship, we're not going to try and make them leave or any of that. I mean, it's really what they are. You know what they're ready for, and so uh, I, I think that it's uh, even if they want to, you know, talk with one of us over the phone uh, at first, just to see, uh, you know, how that goes, and and maybe that will help uh, build their confidence up. Uh, then certainly that's that's fine. Has anyone ever been into, I guess, a session and talked about the experience, and then? couldn't come back because they felt it was too overwhelming to discuss what happened to them. Oh, I think that, yeah, absolutely happens. And then it may come back after a period of time. Uh, how I uh, uh, describe this is uh, in terms of what, what somebody is ready for. Uh, and somebody uh, may not be ready uh, to deal with these issues, to deal with the trauma, to deal with, uh, you know, whatever it is. And whether it's, you know, sexual assault or, or domestic violence or stalking. Uh, and, in fact, some of the uh, clients that we see in terms of sexual assault, uh, the incident they're coming in for may have happened some time ago. Uh, domestic violence is usually a little more immediate in terms of when people are coming in for service. But, uh, but that, you know, may also change, too. I have people that also coming in uh, because they're uh, uh, having domestic violence, you know, like it's one of their parents or it's a family member. Uh, we haven't really talked about that, but I'm also working with students where that's been an issue. I know that it's probably even happened or is possible to happen on campus that st a student might not know what to do or even know if they've really been raped or sexually assaulted mm -hmm. or confused about the two. Mm -hmm. So, what could you really tell a student to distinguish the two for them? Mm -hmm. I, I've always said that abuse is in the eye of the beholder. And so if they think something has happened to them, then absolutely they, you know, we don't have any, you know, kind of criteria. They don't have to prove that they were a victim or survivor in order to come and get our services. If they need to talk to somebody, if they want to talk to somebody, then, you know, then that's... Uh, you know all we need as far as you know as far as that goes uh and i think that uh as you know strange as it may seem uh that people you know one of their first question is is this abuse am i being abused was i sexually assaulted uh and so a lot of people come in asking about that but this is you know it's a place where they can come and talk about those things right uh i really want to know what can people do who are in an abusive relationship what can they do to protect themselves or prevent themselves from being in one yeah when we talk about uh, things like prevention and and risk reduction uh what's what's troubling is that we you know almost always focus on the victim and what can they do to try and prevent this from happening to them when what we're really talking about in terms of prevention is how can we stop people from doing these kind of behaviors mm -hmm. you know and so we need to really you know be thinking about that as a as a society thinking about uh, you know, even uh, starting out with things like language. What do I do when somebody says something that's sexist or homophobic in front of me? What do I do when somebody tells a joke? What do I do? What do I do if somebody says to me, "Oh, I, you know, I hit my partner last night"? Uh, do we just laugh that off and reinforce that behavior, or do we say, 
what are you talking about? What's wrong with you? You know, so that in terms of social change, then this is how we can you know start to try and uh, and do that. Our office is uh, doing a lot with bystander intervention in terms of how do we uh, talk to each other? How do we intervene with that in a safe kind of way? Uh, but getting back to the the victim and survivor, I think what's important is that they have a place again that they reach out for some kind of help uh, because I don't. There's not. Uh, uh, you know, a way that I can say we'll do these five things, and you know, uh, and you know, it won't happen again, or you know, whatever. It's that uh, for them to be able to come in and talk about uh, you know what's going on, and for them to make a plan for uh, whatever they might be ready to do. So, what? So, what would you say, people huh. who have been a victim because of their sexual orientation? Mm. And well, we have to make a distinction because there there certainly is domestic violence and sexual assault that were you know is happening within the LGBT community. Uh, then there's also people who are targeted because they're perceived to be you know gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersexed, uh, and those are uh, are, are bias incidents or hate crimes. Uh, so we, you know, and and both things, of course, can happen. So we want to make that distinction. Uh, but that uh, domestic violence, any any or all, you know, people that um, uh, that are, have experienced anything like that can also come to our office for services. So, what can a person do before anything happens? What are the warning signs? You know, and I think that's also it's it's difficult to uh, to say uh, in terms of battering. Uh, uh, some people will look at you know previous behavior, or uh, they will uh, look at um, uh, you know w- what's really going on. That um, um, uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, <clears throat> uh, when they are uh, in the relationship, and uh, uh, things just you know just don't seem to uh, uh, to feel right, or you know something like that um uh then i would think it's at least you know worth being able to talk to somebody get some more information uh things are not coming to me really quickly so i uh, that's something we can also um they can talk to somebody at our office or uh, you know look at our website for that i know that you have the scream Theater? Yeah, Scream Theater is operated through our office, and uh, which is an interactive uh, theater peer education program. Uh, and so, if students are interested in uh, volunteering, if they remember when they went through orientation, uh, they saw a, a skit from Scream. Uh, so that's operated through our office. Uh, I also wanted to talk about a couple of other ways that people can volunteer. Uh, we also have uh, two uh, crisis response teams uh, that are coordinated through our office. Uh, we have a domestic violence response team, and we also have confidential sexual violence advocates. Uh, and we do training every uh, year uh, with that group. Uh, there's information, again, on our website, and we should say our website is uh, vpva.rutgers.edu. Uh, so they can find out information about response teams, about Scream Theater, uh, help us raise awareness. Uh, uh, I, you know, Nine times out of ten when someone comes into our office for help, it's because somebody else has encouraged them to come. Uh, and so they can certainly uh, you know, help us spread the word. We also have some events that are coming up uh, in the next uh, few weeks, uh, and so they can get information about that. Uh, we're, uh, for example, uh, producing a production of the Vagina Monologues, uh, which is going to be April 4th and 5th. 
uh, at 8.30 in the, uh, in the Livingston Student Center. Uh, and so there's information about that on our website as well. Great. So we've covered a lot of information in a short amount of time about sexual violence, sexual assault, domestic violence and dating, as well as what's been going on at Rutgers as well. And it's been a pleasure talking with you about it. And I think it's very important for people to know that these circumstances go on, not just at Rutgers, but in everyday life anywhere. And that there's a place on campus where they can come. We work with anyone who is part of the Rutgers community. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. So this is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum of 90.3 The Core, where we discuss issues that are important to Rutgers and the Piscataway community. I'm Chelsea Carter, and this week on Core of the Matter, we've been talking about violence prevention and victim assistance at Rutgers with Lisa Smith, who is the coordinator for Domestic Violence Services. If you have any questions or comments about Core of the Matter, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, you can email us at publicaffairsdirector at thecore.fm. Tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for another episode of Core of the Matter. You've been listening to The Core of the Matter on 90.3 The Core. Opinions expressed on The Core of the Matter are those of the participants only, and not necessarily those of WVPHFM or Rutgers University.